Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 35. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he's the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
When John's messages had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say, oh, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Righto, well, I'm going to do something a bit different today. We're going to begin with the punchline. That way, if you go to sleep during the sermon, you already know what it's about. And Okay, so everyone can be comfortable with that. So... Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, Jesus said that about himself. Um, it's not about me. Lots of people might get offended by me, but it's no blessing for them to either be offended or not be offended by me. Um, we're talking about Jesus. It, blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. Every single person must decide for themselves who Jesus is. And they have to decide for themselves how they're going to respond to Jesus because of who Jesus is. Why is it that 50 people might hear the same gospel message and one person out of that 50 might respond in faith to Jesus Christ and be born again into the kingdom of God and receive eternal blessings? One person might respond to that while the other 49, nothing. Why is it that when the word of God is preached, for many it, it just warms their heart and, and they go, wow, this is just wonderful, wonderful news to hear, while for others they're deeply, deeply offended. And nowadays what do people do when they're offended? They take to the Twitter sphere and they gripe and groan about how deeply offensive this particular person has been and how they've suffered at, at the words of some obnoxious preacher. And then, of course, everybody else gets on board and retwits and, 
and they go, oh, you poor, poor person, you are, you've been inflicted with hate speech. How terrible for you. But at the same time, it's warming the hearts of others. But what does it mean to be blessed by not being offended by Jesus? Well, there's a few key phrases that we're going to pull out of the reading today, which, which helps us to understand this. The first phrase, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, Jesus said that about a most unlikely person, a Roman centurion of all people. What was a Roman centurion? Well, in a Roman legion, the rank of centurion was about as high as the equivalent of our non-commissioned officers can, can get. Right? These were fighting men who had risen up through the ranks from the very bottom. They were not the high-born elite who would hold the higher positions and the higher ranks. They weren't people who were just doing a short stint in the military to build their political status so that they could then go on to become senators or whatever. Centurions were frontline career soldiers. Under a centurion was an optio. That was their second in command. And then there were 80 legionaries. They were the foot soldiers. And Simon Scarrow, who writes a lot about the Roman legions, says this. He says, 60 centurions provided the disciplinary and training backbone of the legion. He says they were handpicked for their command qualities and a willingness to fight to the death. And because of this, their casualty rate far exceeded any other rank. Right? So a centurion was a hard-fighting man in charge of fighting men and he would lead from the front line. And this centurion in this story had a servant or a slave who was dying and he valued him highly. Now, we don't know whether that means he cost him a lot of money because he was a slave or just because he was a favourite and he didn't want to lose his favourite. And when he heard about Jesus, he, he asked if Jesus could come and heal him. But the strange thing is, this Roman centurion managed to get some Jewish elders to ask Jesus on his behalf. Now, that's highly unusual. Uh, the, the Jews hated the Romans. And this centurion would have represented the worst of their hatred. Like, he's a key fighting man. They were their oppressors. But this particular centurion, there was something very different about him. I suspect that he may have been what, we, what gets termed in the book of Acts as a God-fearer. So a God-fearer is a Gentile or a non-Jew who is embracing God and following the teachings of the law and they would go along to the synagogue but, but they hadn't yet fully converted to Judaism, right? They hadn't yet been circumcised and, and become a full-blown Jew. And so the Jewish elders told Jesus, he is worthy for, for, for you to do this for him. He loves our nation. He's the one who built us our synagogue. And so Jesus agrees to go. But before he even gets to the centurion's house, the centurion sends some friends with a message. Lord, don't trouble yourself. 
I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. That's why I've sent messengers to you. It's not because I was too proud to come. It's because I'm not worthy to be with you. But then he says, but, but I do understand authority. I have commanders who are over me. And I command men who are under me. And let me tell you, in a Roman legion, when a command was given, it had to be obeyed immediately and without question upon pain of death. And so the centurion said, you've got this authority. I know what authority is and I can see you've got it. All you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, when you and I understand the authority that Jesus has, that will change everything. It'll certainly change the way we relate to him and the way we respond to him. When we recognise the authority of Jesus, it'll change the way we pray. It'll change what we do with his commandments, how we obey or, or disobey. And it'll even change how loosely or how strongly we hold on to this life. Because Jesus has complete authority over everything. He has authority over life and over death. And even when we die, Jesus has the authority by which we will be raised from the dead. And when we recognise the authority of Jesus, our faith will increase exponentially. And when Jesus heard the centurion's message, he, he was amazed. And, and he turned to the crowd, because this was going to be a really good teaching opportunity that, that, he, that shouldn't be missed. And he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And that is what Jesus is looking for. Faith. The faith of those who recognise who Jesus is and who recognise the authority that Jesus holds. And when the messengers returned home, the servant was well. The second statement is the confession of the crowds. God has visited his people. As I came near to a little town called Nain, which isn't far from Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, uh, they came to a funeral procession. Now, a woman who had already lost her husband, so she was a widow, was just about to bury her only son. Now, that would have left her with no one to care for her in her old age, no one to provide for her. And so when Jesus saw her, he was moved with compassion. And so he touched the beer. That, that, that's like a stretcher that they carry the body on. And they all stopped. And Jesus told the young man to get up. And this dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mum. Now, understandably, that didn't go unnoticed. You'd notice if something like that was happened at a funeral here, wouldn't you? Like, we'd all be there and, and John Morris would be there with a... <laughs> it is John, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be there with his hearse and stuff. And, and um, somebody just... Oh, just hang on, just stop the car and... Just get up, will you? And, and the guest of honour of the funeral gets up. You, you'd probably notice. And would that strike the fear of God into people? Too right it would. And that's what happened here. Um, and they, they go, fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. 
And they said, God has visited his people. We all have to decide who Jesus is. Planet Earth was visited by God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to show us the way to salvation and life. And the only way to the kingdom of God is through his son. God has visited his people. The third statement, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, a lot of offence is being taken uh, by the words of Jesus today. I, I don't know, are people getting more and more offended or are they just more willing to quote their offence? Because um, I'm just seeing it more and more. People offended at the simple words of Jesus. Now, John the Baptist at this stage uh, is most probably in prison and not long before he gets beheaded. But when the disciples of John the Baptist brought to him news of the healings and of the resurrection of the widow's son and of the testimony of the crowds, God has visited his people. When John got that news, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus with a question. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? You see, John the Baptist, he came as the greatest of prophets. John was paving the way for the coming Messiah. But the message that God had given John to preach didn't fully line up with what John was seeing Jesus do. You see, John had preached about the wrath that was to come. And, and how the axe was ready to cut at the roots of the trees, of every bad tree. And, and when he prophesied of the coming Christ, he said, his winnowing fork is in his hand. And he's going to clear the threshing floor. He's going to gather the wheat into the barn and, and the chaff. He's going to burn with unquenchable fire. Right? So this is hellfire and brimstone stuff that John was, was preaching. It, it's the picture of judgment that God had given John to preach. But when John got word from his disciples about the things that Jesus was doing, Jesus wasn't judging. Jesus was acting with, with grace and mercy. You see, the prophecy of John was looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, right? Jesus it will return. And when Jesus returns, he will be coming in judgment. And he will be separating the wheat from the chaff. And there will be an unquenchable fire for all who reject Jesus. But the plan of God was for John to prepare Israel for the first coming of Jesus by telling them about what was going to happen at the second coming of Jesus. You see, when Jesus came the first time to the planet Earth, he came as saviour of the world. Jesus came to reconcile humanity to himself. But who wants a saviour if they don't know they need saving? It's like, who wants to buy an air conditioner in the middle of winter? Well, guess what, folks? It's going to get hot again as soon as we get to summer. And you need to know that it's going to get hot again. 
and Jake, you'll have plenty of business, yeah. See, and this is where the message of John the Baptist comes in. How we respond to the message of John the Baptist will determine how we respond to Jesus. The message of John, it heightens our awareness of sin and it reveals the consequences of our sin and and it highlights for us the need that we have to, to repent of our sin and to be saved. Judgment is coming. God will not let evil go unpunished. That would be unjust if he did. Right? So if, if a criminal starts breaking into homes and stealing cars and, and hurting people as they do it, and they get caught by the police and taken before the courts, and the judge says, yes, well, you are guilty, but... I'm not going to punish you because that might, it might hurt you or might make you worse. And that just lets them go again. Would that be just? No. And that's why people jump up and down all the time when they hear over and over and over again that people are not being punished for their crimes because that's not justice. And so... God will not let evil go unpunished because that would be unjust. Judgment day will come. It's like a very naughty boy who won't listen to his mother and then his mother says, you just wait till your father gets home. Has anyone ever said that? I know when my mum said to that, that when my dad got home, he'd be reaching up on top of the fridge and pulling the strap down and... Oh, no, that's right. I was a very good boy. That wouldn't have happened. Where were those Snickers? Uh, Judgment may be delayed, but justice will be served. And because all have sinned and because all are deserving of death, I've got some really good news for you. The gospel of Jesus. We have a saviour. In Jesus Christ, the Messiah, there is grace and there is opportunity for us to repent and to be forgiven of every single sin that we've ever committed. And so if I'm convinced by the message of John the Baptist, then I'm ready to hear the gospel of Jesus. And when I do, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have in your name. But if in my pride I reject the message of John the Baptist and I don't recognise my sin and I don't admit to my dire need to be saved, then the gospel is somewhat offensive to me. What do you mean I'm a sinner? How dare you call me that? And those who reject Jesus do so because Jesus and everything that he achieved on the cross is offensive to their prideful selves. And so Jesus said to the disciples of John, you go back and you tell John what you've seen and you tell him what you've heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The evidence was completely insurmountable. I mean, this is entirely the activity of God, all of these things that Jesus was doing. Of course Jesus is the one that John was waiting for. No, John, you don't need to look elsewhere. You just need to see the big picture. John had been preaching the judgment that was to come. Jesus had been preaching the mercy which is available before that judgment comes. The fourth statement is yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. After John's disciples left Jesus, Jesus had a word to the crowds about John. John wasn't a a nobody. He was a prophet of God. And he didn't find his value in, in luxuries and whatnot. John lived rough. And he ate rough. Uh, He was the one who was preparing the way for the Messiah. And Jesus makes a pretty big call. Jesus said, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Right? This is the greatest bloke who's ever lived. He's a greater prophet than any who had ever come before him. But then Jesus makes an even bigger statement. Yet, The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big call. You see, John was still searching. John had not yet made up his mind about who Jesus is. And indecision is something that excludes from the kingdom of God. I want you to think about that. Indecision is something that excludes from the kingdom of God. And you might be listening to this today and you might be interested in Jesus, but you're still undecided whether to follow him or not. And I'm going to say to you, you're right to decide this very carefully because this is by far the biggest decision that you're ever going to make in your life. Some preachers will totally downplay what it means for you to become a Christian and and basically their message these days seems to become something along the lines of just add a bit of Jesus to your life and everything's going to be sweet. That's not the gospel. And when Jesus was talking to his potential followers over and over again, he would talk to them about the cost of being a disciple. It's not the easy way, it's the hard way. Jesus would say things like, if you're going to be my disciple, then you have to be prepared to take up your cross daily to follow me. That basically means the world's probably going to hate you and might even put you to death because you choose to stand with me. Jesus talked about how becoming a Christian means putting to death the old person. And becoming a totally new creation. You can't just stay the same as you are. You will be changed. You won't even recognise yourself. Because Jesus will be working that change in you. And being a Christian isn't going to be a bed of roses. It's going to be a cross of nails. 
It is a big deal to become a Christian. If you're not willing to take the risk and follow Jesus, then you're not worthy to follow him. It's not a thing for the weak. This is a thing for the strong. And if you feel that you are weak, that's okay. I invite you to experience the Holy Spirit making you strong so that you can follow him. So if you are undecided about who Jesus is, I understand why you haven't made the decision yet to follow him. But I'm also pretty sure that God is speaking to you today and you are no longer undecided. You know very well who Jesus is. You know that Jesus is the Christ. You know that Jesus is the Son of God. You know that Jesus is the Saviour of the world. And you know that Jesus is returning again to judge the living and the dead. And if we know that, if you know that, do not delay. You need to decide right now, I am going to follow Jesus. Repent of sin, find grace and forgiveness and new life in him. Indecision excludes one from the kingdom of God. The day of decision is here. The day of decision is today. And if you have decided to commit wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus, well, welcome to the kingdom of God. That is you becoming a Christian. It's nothing about a big show when you come up the front or do whatever. It's when you decide in your heart and commit, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I belong to you. I give you all I am. That's when it happens. Which brings us to the fifth statement. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. When John the Baptist preached God's call to repentance, there was one group of people who were there. They'd come along for a bit of a look, um, but they didn't buy the package. They didn't respond to the message of John. And that's the Pharisees and the lawyers. Um, the lawyers, stinking lawyers. Oh, so my apologies to any lawyers who might be listening today. I'm sure there's some good Christian ones around. Um, but the, when they're talking about the lawyers here, they're most probably talking about the scribes. These were the ones who looked at the legal things of, the, of God's law. And these, the Pharisees and, and the scribes, they, they were pretty confident in their own righteousness um, and that they had it all in hand. And in their mind, they didn't need to repent. They didn't need to be baptised. They were wrong. This is the purpose of God, to repent of which baptism is a symbol and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, did you notice there in verse 30, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Some folk um, from their theology will, will talk about something they call irresistible grace. Has anyone ever heard that phrase? Irresistible grace. 
Their view is that if God calls you, there is no way that you can resist him. If God is choosing you, you can't possibly resist him. And therefore, if, a, if somebody hasn't responded to God, it's not really their fault. It's just that God hasn't called them. Um, but you know what? That's not what I see in the scriptures. What I see in the scriptures over and over and over again is God calling his people to repentance. Jesus calling the people to follow him. God calling people to obey him. And you know what people do over and over and over again? They refuse and they resist God and they reject God. They do resist him. And that's what happened here. They rejected God's, God's call to repentance and they rejected Jesus. And we're being told here that they were resisting the purpose of God. And as you and I share our faith with others, some will come up with, with all sorts of reasons why they won't be following Jesus. And you know what? In their own mind, they will convince themselves that that's a valid reason. I've got my, my reasons. You know what they are? They're excuses. Excuses. Jesus likens them to petulant children who refuse to join in and play with the other kids. We played for the flute for you. We played a happy tune, but you wouldn't dance. All right, well, we'll, we'll sing a dirge. No, you're not going to join in and cry with that either. It's, it was all just an excuse. And for some folk, that's the way it is. And see, they wouldn't listen to John the Baptist because he wouldn't eat bread or drink wine. Oh, he's no good. He's got a demon, they said. Whereas Jesus came and he ate and he drank. But oh, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And so we come to the final statement, the sixth one. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Every one of us has a decision to make. Who is Jesus? And if Jesus truly is the one that he claims to be, the Christ, the Son of God, then it is worth leaving everything to follow him. By faith, even the most wicked sinner is saved to the kingdom of God. Why? Well, we know it's because God loves us. But why does God love us so much that he would have sent his son to die for us on the cross? I don't know. All I can do is say, well, because God is love. But it was also the wisdom of God. God was doing something amazing. Something which we can't comprehend. God's plan, God's purpose is for us to turn toward him with our whole hearts. And the wisdom of God in sending his son, we're told, is justified by all his children. What is the outcome of what God has done? All of his children who are saved. 
And when you do take that step and decide, yes, I am going to become a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no doubt that many people are going to think, you're weird. Many are going to go, you're strange. You're naive. What are you doing following all that religious mumbo-jumbo? Many people will think that about you. But don't ever forget that as a Christian, you are in really good company. Really good company. Wisdom is justified by all her children. There have been some amazing Christians who have lived throughout the world and throughout the centuries. People who have changed the world around them. But it wasn't them, it was God doing it through them. And the purposes of God are there for everyone to see in those who believe and in those who follow their Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came as saviour of the world. God has visited his people. Lord, we recognise that you are the saviour the Saviour whom we need. And as we hear your call to repentance, may we never be offended, but give us faith. Help us to know your authority over all things and to increase our faith. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that it is that you have brought us into the kingdom of God. And may we never reject the purpose that you have for us. May your kingdom and your glory be seen by the world, even in us, through Christ our Lord. Amen.